Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm Amy Frost, and my guest today is Julie Velou. She's the vice president of the Velou Foundation, and today we're talking about the Gobi Gallop. Many, many of the people that we're helping are Mongolian horsemen. And I think it's really poetic and kind of beautiful that horse people from around the world are coming in to participate and supporting, you know, the original horsemen and the, the last surviving horse culture on the planet. It's really pretty special. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. We're taking a different turn today. We're heading all the way over to Mongolia with a lovely lady called Julie Velou. Julie is the Velou Foundation's Vice President and she's the Gobi Gallup Chief. How are you, Julie? I'm very well, thank you. Very much. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Originally, you were from Canada. Right now, you're in Mongolia. Now, we've heard of the Mongol Derby. We were lucky enough to speak to an incredible man just in a couple of years ago who actually won the Mongol Derby. But this is a different type of race, isn't it? Can you tell us a bit about it? Sure. Um, the Gobi Gallop is not actually a race. It's um, more of a team sport, really. So it's a, an endurance ride. We do 700 kilometers in 10 days across a different route in uh, Mongolia each year. And we take 10 people from around the world and uh, people raise money to help uh, with our foundation, which helps with the kids who scavenge in the garbage dump in Mongolia. Hmm. Um, And so people come from around the world. And it is, um, to the best of my research ability anyway, the longest annual charity horseback ride on the planet. Wow. Which is, yeah, it's pretty crazy considering I had never ridden a horse before I moved to Mongolia. And so (laughs) now I do this every year. Um, but it really is uh, a really epic, fantastic ride. And I mean, 700 kilometers in 10 days is no small feat. And I get to meet some very, very cool people who come every year to do this and support the, the work of the foundation. Julie, most people wouldn't do that in a year, let alone in 10 days. <laughs> I don't think I've ever run, you know, ridden 700 kilometers before. So how long does that take? I mean, how, how, in terms of the day, um, how many hours of riding would you be doing? Um, most days, the goal, the goal is eight hours. That's the goal. Um, sometimes it's 10 or 12, or it's even been as much as 14 some days. Um, of course, things are unpredictable. And so sometimes you end up, uh, you have to keep going until there's water and feed for the horses. Um, and sometimes where there's supposed to be water, there's not water. Mm-hmm. Um, or there was, where there's supposed to be feed, there's not feed. And so it's, things get stretched out a little bit sometimes. Mostly what happens is we get up in the morning early, we eat, we get on the horse, and we head off for a couple of hours of cantering, which is um, a pretty fantastic way of starting the day. 
And then even though it's called the Gobi Gallop, there's not really a lot of actual galloping that goes on because, of course, that just eats through the horse's endurance. And the horses that we take are some of the best on the planet, I think, actually, because we take two horses per rider. Mm -hmm. So you switch off a horse. So the horse's rest day is the day that he gets to go 70 kilometers with no one on his back, which is pretty impressive. Mm. And I, I actually know um, I actually know the Mongol Derby chief. Oh, really? Um, she and I have gotten to be friends. Yeah, yeah. Being um, sort of crazy riding Mongolian people, and um, <laughs> she, when she comes to Mongolia, she comes riding with me. So it's um, it's quite good. It is quite good. But they're really, really good horses, well cared for. And uh, the Mongol Derby has quite a, a reputation for some wild and crazy um, adventures with horses. Mm. Um, we we don't have quite quite that sort of reputation. We have uh, because the horses are ridden all winter and fed all winter, and they're really well cared for. Uh, they're still not sort of your bomb-proof horse that everybody would be expecting back in the world. Um, they're still Mongolian horses, and you can't sort of subdue that. But there's a little bit less craziness than than people might expect if they're used to hearing about the Derby. Mm. Well, with the Derby, they're given the horse on the day of the race, aren't they? Whilst with the Gobi Gallop, mm. do they come prepared with their horses? Our local trekking partner is um, called Horse Trek Mongolia, and um, they are the people who actually do the logistics and whatnot for the, the Gobi Gallop. They also do a number of other rides that they give us 20% of their profits, oh. uh, no, 20% of the tariff, sorry, 20% of the tariff. And then that um, all goes directly towards our project with the kids up in the garbage dump as well. So um, the horses that we use are horses that are owned by Horse Trek Mongolia. So they're Mongolian horses. They're um, trained and cared for and prepared for this uh, event uh, every year. And Bagi, who is the, the head guide there, does a tremendous job of making sure that the horses are fit enough and sound, you know, to make the journey and um, and be fine on the other end. Because uh, ultimately, that's the most important thing is that the horses are fine. Um, and mm. second to that, well, I guess the most important thing is that the people are fine. But um, <laughs> the horses come a very close second. And so you don't see the people being thrown, you don't see the riders being thrown off the horses and seeing wild horses like you do with the Mongol Derby, which I think is, is quite a nice I feel quite uncomfortable when I'm watching these horses rearing and being caught and then, you know, riders thrown on their backs. Um, so I like the fact that yours are already trained. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, I mean, we do. I mean, the thing is that the Mongolian landscape is dotted with holes and, you know, every now and then a horse will go down in a hole and we, we always do have people fall off, but we don't have like crazy, um, yeah, no, none of the rearing and that sort of wild behavior. And I'm happy to say that even though we do have people come off, we, we've we never had um, a serious injury mm -hmm. to man or beast. And uh, we do have a doctor that comes along and medical support. And, you know, we're closely allied with the International Medical Clinic in Ulaanbaatar. Should there be an event, there's, you know, we're prepared for one. But fortunately, in the five years that we've been doing this, we, we've never had to make use of that relationship, thank goodness. Oh, well, that's good. And so you've only been going five years, which means you've only been riding five years? Or were you riding um, longer than that? Um, uh, six years I've been riding. Oh, my goodness. So within one year of learning to ride, you decided that you were going to take all these people on an adventure for 700 kilometers across Mongolia. Well, the, the, first, um, the first Gobi Gallop actually started as most, you know, really great ideas do over a bottle of red. And... <laughs> and um, there were a bunch of us sitting around and there, there's a, a mine down in the South Gobi that my husband worked at and a number of um, expats worked at and it's called Oyu Tolgoi. And one of the fellows who was sitting around helping us consume this bottle of red 
also worked there, and he was quite a horseman. And he said, you know, is there any reason why we couldn't ride to OT? I've always wanted to go across the Gobi um, on a motorbike, but it would be fun to ride a horse. Mm. So we all said, well, that's a splendid idea. Let's do that. <laughs> so I went I went and talked to my Mongolian uh, trekking partner people. The, and actually, my horseback riding instructor, Bagi, we, I suggested that we do this. And sort of to my face, he said, well, that's that, you know, that's doable. We could do that. But what I found out later is mm. after I left, apparently he went to his wife and said, Julie's gone completely crazy. And she, <laughs> she wants she wants to ride across the Gobi Desert, um, and uh, he said I, he said I don't know what I don't know what to tell her. And so his wife um, basically said, "Well, if these foreign people think they can do it, what you know? Are you are you not Mongolian? Can you not do it? Are you not as good a rider as they are? Are our horses not strong enough? All of these things." And so finally, he was like, "Da da da, okay, okay, okay." So um, the the first Gobi gallop was truly an adventure because we had no idea if we could do it, mm. you know. And so, um, uh, and everywhere we stopped and talked to local people, I asked them if they'd ever heard of anybody sort of riding across the Gobi. And they said, mm, no, <laughs> never heard, <laughs> never heard of it. So I'm sure we're not the first people to go across the Gobi, but it was a pretty unusual thing that time. And so since then, we've ridden through five or six different provinces. Wow. Uh, and then we we go every year in June. So um, it's this year. It's from the fourth of June to the fifteenth. And then we um, we finish it off with a really big, very fancy flash gala event in Ulaanbaatar to welcome back the riders. And we have a big charity auction and just really have a really big party, a really big celebration, mm. um, and raise we raise a lot of money. Which uh, the Gobi Gallop actually is integral to our project. If if it wasn't for the Gobi Gallop, we certainly wouldn't be where we are with our project. And we have, um, at the moment, we have 150 children in our kindergarten that used to be scavenging in the garbage dump. Um, and I mean, Mongolia is cold place. It's the coldest capital city in the world. And so these little kids out at minus 40 in the garbage is, um, it's just fundamentally wrong. It's just not, just not how it should be. No. So you've taken these children and created a kindergarten where, where do they sleep at night? How, how does this work? So the the kids go the kids go home at night. So mm-hmm. the kid it's, it's a Monday through Friday. So the parents, uh, many of the parents originally scavenge in the garbage, and uh, but we're finding now that we're taking care of the the children. Many of them are moving forward and uh, sort of into more regular paid employment. And the thing that I think is really beautiful is that most of the people in the garbage dump in Ulaanbaatar um, are there because they were herders and in the Zud. Uh, the really bad winters that we've had recently, many of them lost their animals. I don't know if you've heard, but um, like in the year, in 2009-2010 winter, Mongolia lost something like nine and a half million animals. Oh my goodness. And um, so many, many families were forced off of the land because without animals you can't survive there. But because of the just because of the political situation in Mongolia, when they come to the city, they also can't work. And so they're forced onto the garbage dump. So many, many of the people that we're helping are Mongolian horsemen. And I think it's really poetic and kind of beautiful that horse people from around the world are coming in to participate and supporting, you know, the original horsemen and the, the last surviving horse culture on the planet. It's really pretty special. 
It sounds like a pretty incredible charity foundation to be involved with that's doing wonderful things. So thank you, Julia, for setting that up because I think we hear of these stories a lot um, and we don't know how to help and it always just takes one person over a bottle of red to come up with an incredible idea um, <laughs> that five years later, you know, is really, really successful. How many riders do you get? We've limited it to 10 is how many we take. And part of that is because... Um, we want to keep it a really special um, experience for the riders and because it is a team sport and we're sort of setting off and helping each other along. We did, we did have more riders one year and we found that the riders broke off into groups mm. and there's some strange things that happen. Like, I mean, it's not just that you're riding a long way. It's, you know, you're really tired, like really tired. This is a really exhausting kind of thing to do. And um, so you're with a group of strangers in the middle, you know, of the Mongolian wilderness and people find it very emotional it's very stressful in some respects it's very difficult um, we had a um, a lady come who was a sort of a professional marathon runner and mm-hmm. she got up on I think on the sixth day and she, she got came out of her tent and she said this is like running a marathon and then getting up the next day and running another one <laughs> and then getting up the next day and running another one so um so, I mean, when you think about it as human beings, we don't normally do something like the same activity over a period of like 14 hours, you know, for 10 days in a row. Mm-hmm. But um, so anyway, the, uh, basically to create the kind of really special experience to make it that much better for the participants, we've, we've limited it to 10. So this year is the first year that we still have spaces left at this late date. And I don't know if it's because we're going across the Gobi Desert again. The year. We're sort of going back to the future. And uh, we're starting down the south part of the Gobi at Yaldingam, which is a big frozen waterfall in the middle of the desert. And um, coming up sort of along the west side of the Gobi, we have um, seven days of really beautiful, um, varied um, desert terrain. So we're some in some mountains and in some hills and um, of course, there's sort of open grasslands and open sand dunes and whatnot. Um, and then we're and then we're onto the step for the last four days. This is the this is the first year, like I said, that we we're not yet full. We've had I think 42 people apply. Well, uh, inquire and quite a lot of um, applications. We don't you know we don't take everybody. I I screen to make sure that we have people who are comfortable in wilderness and competent and capable and all that whatnot. Yeah, and not crazy like me. I mean, you put me in the middle of the wilderness and I'd be phoning <laughs> saying, you know, <coughs> I'm not a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> it's, you know, I have to say, I have never seen anything more spectacular than the stars in the Gobi. Mm. Honestly, the first the first trip through the Gobi, um, I was standing there in the dark of the moon and standing looking out at the horizon and the horizon was below, I was looking down at the horizon. It was sort of at the same level as my feet and the stars were as bright on the horizon as they were dead above me. Never seen anything like it. Wow. So it's it's worth it's worth the trip. It's worth the wilderness. Julie, you take a nice photo for me and I'll really <laughs> enjoy that moment for you. <laughs> It's not the first time I've heard that. (laughs) If you're brave and you like endurance, then it sounds like the most incredible trip that you could take, like a once in a lifetime opportunity. It really is epic. The things that people have said, you know, after the gallop, it really is pretty life changing. And, you know, we do start the gallop. Um, We go up and have a visit up at the at the charity so people can have a chance to meet the kids that they're helping Hmm. and um, have a look at the work that we do and whatnot. And so this year we're going to be flying people down to the South Gobi as part of the whole 
gallop. So you get a little, you little get a little internal Mongolian plane flight as well. Just oh, for nice. added adventure. If you, yeah, super, super brave. <laughs> now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I have heard that in the wilderness, you see all sorts of things from camels to yeah. horses. What are, what are the horses that you see? The number of wild horses running around, like free range horses, I should call them, um, like literally hundreds, probably thousands. I mean, that, when we were scouting this ride, a herd of 700 horses I rode through and um, lots of antelope um, and the Przewalski horse. There's Przewalski horses running around in the Gobi, which we're hoping to run across. We're running through their area. I mean, we can't schedule it, but um, uh, lots of eagles and kites and really, really big birds. And of course, lots and lots of vultures because there's lots of dead animals lying around. Um, we did one time uh, on a trek, we ran into a, a one. There was one tree in the middle of the desert on the first Gobi gallop. And there were six sacred falcons in one tree, which is something of a miracle really because falcons normally don't like to share their spaces but um yeah so we have there yeah there's wild ass as well which Mm. is different and um we often see deer and so it really is where the deer and the antelope play yeah but judy what do you do in these situations okay so i'm in i'm in the beautiful new forest at the english countryside (laughs) and i see pigs and cows and and wild you know, owned by commoners, half wild horses, and mm-hmm. and go into complete meltdown of my horse is going to freak out. Um, if the horses gallop off, that's it. I've lost control. My horse is going to go too. So mm-hmm. the thought of seeing wild antelope and seven hundred wild horses. How do your horses cope with this? They're really, um, they're really essentially they're fine with it. They because they are free range horses and because they run around out in the out in the wilderness themselves mm. they've they've run across these things um by and large the only thing that we kind of worry about sometimes is camels because um the where where our horses are stationed there's not very many camels and so some horses are familiar with camels and some are not and so the ones that are not familiar with camels it's a bit 
um, it's a bit scary. We had a we had a funny thing last year on the Gallup. We had a a filmmaker come along, and there's a documentary that's going to be finished sometime in the next couple of months. And so she had a drone, and so unbeknownst to us, sort of up the up the road from us, or well, up the valley, there was no road. There was a, a herd of camels, and so she had her drone over taking um, a photograph, you know, taking a film of the camels, which managed to stampede the camels towards us. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> what happened? Uh, we, um, it was, well, it actually, it all ended fine. It was fine. Um, we saw, we could see the camels coming because you could see this, all this dust going up. And we saw this, we're just like, oh, no. So <laughs> we, we went the other way, essentially. We just turned around and we went away at a very lovely flying trot, um, you know, to stay away from the camels. And the camels, um, she, she realized that what she was doing and she, you know, put the drone down and it all ended peacefully. But there was a couple of moments there where we thought this could, this could all go horribly oh wrong. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I can't wait to watch that video. <laughs> yeah. No. It's going to be really stupendous, I think. So, so far, you have 150 children at the kindergarten and yeah. eight children are on scholarship at private schools mm-hmm. now. That's incredible. Yep. And 300 yep. children at the Soaring Crane summer camp. What's that that they do? The, um, a lot of the older kids that are on the garbage dump are the, they're sort of in the process of trying to decide what their life is going to look like, as you know, many 10, 11 and 12 year olds do. Um, the problem is they, of course, are very disenchanted with sort of their future and they don't have a lot of hope. So the the Soaring Crane Summer Camp is a hands-on experiential learning camp for them. So they go and we reconnect them uh, with their Mongolianness, their history and their culture, which Mongolians are very proud of. So they do horseback riding and they do bridle tying and we have a bunch of cows and they milk the cows and then they make arul, the dried um, milk product that's like the dried yogurt that we then give to the old people in the community at Sagansar at the, their Lunar New Year. So the kids go to the 13th century camp and they go, I mean, they go hiking and swimming and thinking and do, you know, all of the sort of fun stuff. But we really take an opportunity to give them some stuff like human rights education, life skills mapping. We try to connect them to mentors once they've identified what kind of thing they would sort of like to be or what they would like to do. Mm. And we try to connect them to somebody that's um, already operating in that industry or business and give them some direction, some idea of, of how it is going to be possible for them to do what they want to do. And uh, it's based kind of on the theory that you sort of never know what's going to be the thing that sparks someone, motivates them to do what it is, what's necessary to be done. Because really, all of these kids, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-old children, yes, they're behind in school. And yes, their life has been difficult and they're not socialized. But they're still, you know, very competent and capable young people who have their whole life in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so with some, some guidance and assistance and effort on their part, um, they really can do whatever it is that they want to do. So that's what the Swearing Korean Summer Camp is about. It's amazing. And some of these children have now ended up going and working on vocational training programs too. So you really do follow them through from when they're real babies, well, from when they're 11, right up yeah. to adulthood. Yeah. 
So we've got the so the the kindergarten is for three to six year olds, and then the, our local NGO partner has a remedial school for six to sixteen year olds, and the summer camp is also for six to sixteen year olds. Um, and we take the kids from the garbage dump, and we also take children who are um, what we call ninja miners. So if you're in England, you you're in British history back in the eighteen hundreds. You know the children that would go down in the mines. Mm-hmm. Um, and work in really terrible conditions. It's uh, similar here. There's kids that go down to essentially in holes in the ground, um, very unsafe and not, um, I mean, they call them starlings because they chirp like little birds from under the ground. And so they're about six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And then after that, they're too big for that particular job. So we take the ninja miners and we take some of them. There's other poor children from uh, different areas that survive by going and picking pine nuts and then selling them at the roadside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also some poor kids from the countryside. And so part of what we're doing with all of that is to break down some barriers as well for them. I mean, these kids are really ostracized from society. And so it's really a great opportunity for them to get to see that, well, first of all, that they're not alone, you know, that there are other children in difficult circumstances, and there are other communities that will welcome them and that they can make friends and that they can, you know, have fun and that there is uh, a version of a normal life that's mm. available to them all. Oh, my goodness. It's heartbreaking. I was just in the garbage dump, actually. I've been in the garbage dump three times in the last two days. And um, it's really, I mean, it is it is a difficult and confronting thing to do, but it really is pretty lovely to go in there and when the kids are like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Whatever. Mm. So I, I'm getting to know them a little bit. So that, that part's good. But it's and, lovely um, that you're going in there to take them out of that and give them a better future. Yeah. yeah. So the great thing about the work that we're doing right now, I think, is that the it's not yet generational in Mongolia. They don't, you know, this is a new problem. And so we're working really hard to stop it before it becomes generational mm. and uh, trying to connect the kids back and the families back to their culture. And horseback riding is, of course, it's such a really natural fit. And so, you know, I am I feel really lucky that I, that I managed to figure out how to learn to ride a horse at 50. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really completely changed sort of how I'm approaching the whole rest of my life. And so, and I should say that uh, one of the things on the gallop, as speaking of tradition, is that everybody who comes has to ride at least 20 kilometers in uh, the original Mongolian comfort saddle, which is, yes, exactly what you think, one of those wooden monstrosities. Oh, my goodness. And not comfortable at all. It's not bad, actually. It's not nearly <laughs> as bad as it looks. But um, it's a good appreciation for what the guides are going through because they, you know, they ride in that all the time. And then we um, we auction it off at the end at the gala. The official saddle of the Gobi, the Gobi Gallop gets auctioned off and usually raises like four or five thousand dollars, which is pretty fantastic. Wow, that's a lot of money. A lot of money for a saddle. The um, the, yeah. the the horses are well cared for. You mentioned earlier. Um, mm-hmm. So, do you have vets at each spot to make sure that they their backs aren't sore? And you know, what are your what are your procedures for making sure the horses are looked after? So we bring along we bring along a traditional Mongolian vet. He takes care of the horses uh, along with our head guide. Um, we don't have a Western vet. Um, we've never needed a Western vet. It's really interesting, actually. And part of the thing that people really like is um, uh, watching the watching the traditional vet work his magic. 
for example, one time he just looks over and he just tells somebody, just stop, get off that horse. <laughs> so this person stops, gets off, and he just proceeds. He doesn't say anything. He just proceeds to start taking the saddle off. And he's got this very, like, I don't know, 30-meter-long rope. And he just starts tying it around the horse in this extremely bizarre fashion. So it gets like, and so this is where I have to admit, I'm an idiot savant when it comes to horseback things. Because I learned in Mongolia, a lot of horse vocabulary I know in Mongolian, but not in English. So if I use the, <laughs> if I use the wrong word, that's why. But so you can it, educate so, us, Judy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so anyway, so he's, he's tying the, the rope sort of under his belly and over his withers and down around his back and He's trussing him all up and everybody is like, what is he doing? And so in the end, the horse's um, back feet are tied together and then they're tied to the rope at the front or whatever. And then he just smacks the horse on the butt to make him kick and buck. And everybody's thinking there's something terrible going on. Mm. And I didn't know what he was doing, but uh, I just trust him because I know him very well and he really, really, really cares for the horses. So it after it's all finished, I asked him what that was all about. Um, and he said that um, the horse had put his back out because the rider had been going too quickly from, had going, like the horse was gone from walk to gallop with no, nothing in between, mm. straight from walk to gallop. Wow. And so had put, the horse had put his back out. And so this was him having the horse put his own back in place. And, wow, uh, see, so then, uh, that's perception. It sounds like abuse, but it's not abuse. He's helping the yeah. horse. Gosh. Yeah. So then the next, it was my horse too, actually. So then the next day, the horse, you know, they rode the horse and, you know, they went, he went for the rest of the gallop. So, I mean, we have six horses who have done the gallop every year. And um, I find that really, really fantastic Mm -hmm. that these horses have this uh, amazing endurance and ability to go. And so uh, we've had one or two foot sore horses is all. They're not shod. They're barefoot and just as mother nature intended and so they they do a good job of taking care of the horse we really Mm. haven't had any problems one time we did have a a guide brought a horse who just wasn't in good enough shape and so after by clear it was pretty clear by the fourth day that this wasn't going to work so they just they just left him with a family that they'd never met before that they'd never seen they just said here take care of my horse okay we'll be back in a couple of weeks to get him (laughs) only in mongolia i mean i I think one of the other cool things that happens always on the ride is um, uh, Baggy always buys a horse to bring along with us, usually a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because that way he can add to his herd, you know, different bloodlines and whatnot. So we get to go, we get to go shopping for a baby and then bring the, bring the horse home. So it's kind of a fun thing to do. Sounds shopping like fun. In, in the middle, <laughs> go big out. It is fun. So. If we um, if we want to get involved and we'd like to join you on your Gobi Gallop in June this year, then we just need to head to your website, mm-hmm. which is www.horsetrackmongolia.com forward slash Gobi hyphen gallop. We will put that on Horse Hour as well. So you can have a look on Twitter, Facebook and our website and um, see the link and it will take you straight through. I highly recommend it for all you brave endurance riders. I think it sounds like just the most phenomenal adventure to be able to go on and um, and obviously help the Valu Foundation and Children of the Peak Sanctuary Project. Julie, can we follow you on Facebook, Twitter? Yes, and Instagram. And Instagram. What are your What are your handles? Um, it's uh, uh, at Valu Foundation and at HT Mongolia is um, Twitter. Uh-huh. So it, and then Horse Track Mongolia is Instagram. Facebook is just Horse Track Mongolia or Valu Foundation. 
Amazing. And we actually, Facebook, actually, we have a Gobi Gallop page on Facebook as well. And so there's film footage there of what it's like to ride the Gobi Gallop. Oh, great. Um, and lots of, lots of photos. And there's some articles that previous Gobi Gallopers have written. And um, so it's a pretty good resource for people who might be interested in coming along to see what it's really like. And so the one thing that I would say is that for some reason, we still have um, spots left this year. We only take 10 people. And next year, we already have 24 very serious applicants. So it's looking very much like next year may already be full. And so people interested in coming might, I know it's not that far in the future, but they might really consider that this June would be the, this would be the June to come. Okay, well, we need to get onto your website and have a look then. HorseTrackMongolia.com. Julie, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Um, uh, hopefully when you're there uh, in June, you can send, if you have any signal, you know, under the stars, then maybe you could send us some photos. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely will. I absolutely will. We actually have a, we do a Facebook thing where you can follow us and you can see where we're going. Like we plot you know, plot our, with a GPS, we plot our route, but I will see if we can get you some photos. That would be fun. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Julie. See you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to follow Julie and her Gobi Gallop, then have a look at them on Twitter. It's at HT Mongolia, Facebook at Gobi Gallop and Horse Trek Mongolia. And of course, you can follow the foundation and the wonderful work that they're doing at Valu Foundation. You can catch all previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast on our website. Just head to horsehour.co.uk. And while you're there, why not pop in your email address and then you never have to miss an episode again. We've got lots of education articles for you. Spring is nearly here. So there's lots of tips on looking after your horses in the springtime. And I'm really looking forward to welcoming B&W Equine Vets. They're going to be back soon to give us some more advice on veterinary problems and diseases. As always, I love to see the journeys that you go on with your horses. What have you got planned for the next few weeks? Are you going to an eventing competition? Maybe you're trying some dressage or popping some jumps. Drop us a message at Horse Hour on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I hope you have a really good week with your horse and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag Horse Hour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.